This podcast is brought to you by The Empowerment Project. Research proves that empowerment self-defense training makes you safer, period. I want you to have a great self-defense toolkit so you can create strong boundaries, speak with confidence, and take up all the space that you deserve in the world. We'll hear stories from survivors and find out what worked for them and why. We'll interview leaders in the field and talk about tips, concepts, and really easy things that you could do to make yourself safer and interrupt the cycle of violence. I've taught self-defense classes for over 30 years, and I promise to teach you everything I know. Ultimately, I'm going to want you to get some in-person training, but a great empowerment self-defense class is more than just the physical skills. The list of things I want to teach you is endless, so let's get to it. My name is Sylvia Smart, and welcome to The Empowerment Project. Welcome, listeners. I'm so glad you're here. Today, we're going to continue on with this theme of coercion. This is the second of two episodes about this topic. You met our guest, Justine Hallowell, in our last episode, but I'll reintroduce her to you in just a second. If you haven't listened to the last episode yet, go back and do that first. We want you to understand the ins and outs and nuances around coercion because that background information is important to have as we move forward in this episode. Today, we want to turn our attention to you, to your lived experience, to your sexual health, to your empowerment, and to your self-defense toolkit. This episode is all about how you can build your resiliency to sexual coercion. So let's get started. First, I want to remind you that talking about coercion can be somewhat intense at times. It's complex. Like I said before, it's nuanced. It's full of stuff like sex, intimacy, and relationships. And we're discussing it within the context of rape and assault and empowerment. You're important, and some of what we're going to talk about might feel tough. It might bring stuff up for you, like memories or experiences or relationships you've had in the past, maybe assault that you've had to deal with. So I just want to remind you, it's okay to stop and come back later, or to take a breathing break, or to wait and listen when you're with a friend, or on a walk, or something like that. So You taking care of you always comes first when you're listening to this podcast, the Empowerment Podcast by Naga, but especially with this episode. I want to reintroduce my guest today, Justine Hallowell from the University of Oregon. You might have met her last time in the last episode, but if you didn't, just a little bit about her. Justine started her teaching career at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and she's been teaching at the University of Oregon in the PE and Rec Department since 2003. She teaches empowerment self-defense classes at the U of O, but she's also a master teacher in the discipline of yoga and has taught at Peace Health's Cardiac Rehab Program also since 2003. She's passionate about holistic practices that address women's health and safety. So Justine, welcome back. Thank you, Sylvia. Great to be here. Really nice to have you. And let's just jump in. Justine, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. Where do you want to start? Well, at the end of episode one, 
we were talking about the podcast, The Heart, and how Caitlin Prest was interviewing the women in her life and how they were talking about why do they have sex that they don't want to have. And Caitlin was really interested in inheritance. That's what she calls that segment of her four-part series. So what inherited ideas do we have that really contribute to our inability to not be able to say no, to feel obligated? And if we feel obligated, then our chances of experiencing sexual coercion are greatly increased. So I think it's pretty common when we start talking about sex that people feel some intense emotions. And oftentimes people feel shame. And shame is a foundational issue that puts us at risk for coercive sex. And people who use coercive tactics are really relying on the fact that the person who they're trying to coerce will feel shame or maybe they'll feel some sense of fear or obligation and that they'll remain silent. So if we can identify our emotions and our internalized messages around sex, what are our beliefs? This is gonna really increase our ability to defend ourselves. So if we think about that episode of the heart, one of the things that a woman had said was, how can I make him happy without compromising too much? So unhealthy sex can really be a compromise of our values. And yet we want to make our partners happy, but we also need to consider our own happiness. Um, another thing that they talk about on the heart is a woman is supposed to want male attention, therefore don't hurt his feelings. And so it may feel like you can't really set boundaries because you want this person to like you and you want them to enjoy spending time with you. And therefore there might be a fear of rejection instead of maybe shame. And oftentimes it's a combination of these feelings. So as I listened to that podcast, I was thinking about examples from my own life. So messages and beliefs about sex that I learned um, in high school or middle school or growing up um, from my parents, from my religion. Sometimes there's cultural beliefs. And one of the things that I was really able to identify quickly was this idea of blue balls. Don't be a tease that you could get someone so excited that it's actually painful for them to not have an orgasm. And I found out much later in life that this is a myth. Blue balls creates a sense of obligation, but that there's no scientific evidence to back up this excruciating pain. And just recently, one of my favorite podcasts, Science Versus, actually addressed this. Science Versus Blue Balls. And 
they looked into the research and said, you know, it can be uncomfortable, but there is no excruciating pain. And if there is, well, you can take care of it uh, with masturbation. You don't have to obligate someone to bring you to the point of orgasm. I listened to this and I loved it. Part of the reason why I loved it was because Sarah Marshall is on as her guest Mm -hmm. on this episode. And Sarah is one of the hosts on the podcast You're Wrong About. And she's just fun and funny. And I I just love the way that they talked about it. And yeah, that's a myth that I grew up with. Is it still? Like, do people really believe this still? Yes, they absolutely do. So when I share this in my class at the University of Oregon, I have students who they push back. They're like, no, that it can't be a myth. Why do I hear this all the time? So it's it's still being perpetuated. Amazing. So the link to that particular episode will be in the this episode's description. And I'll also put it um, on the Empowerment Project community Facebook group. I'll I'll post it there as well so that people who want to listen to the myth busting <laughs> uh, blue ball theory uh, with Wendy Zuckerman and Sarah Marshall can do that. Excellent. Can we talk a little bit more about like I when you're talking about this inheritance, the first thing when I heard that podcast, when you and I were chatting about it, I it just brings me to this theme of socialization and the way that so often when we're talking about power dynamics, when those of us who are in maybe the position of lesser power because we're um Uh, because of our gender, our gender identity, or the color of our skin, or any of those things, um, this, this feeling of, of socialization, which is giving other people the benefit of the doubt, or wanting to go out of our way to make everything better for that person, or being so concerned about this power dynamic that we do backflips to make sure that they are happy at our own expense. And, you know, we talk about this in this podcast over and over and over again, but I just, I was really feeling like those two things were so connected, this sense of inheritance, but also this socialization that does come from my mother and my mother's mother and her mother before her and my father and his father, you know, like back through the generations and throughout society. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think about how females in particular are taught to be people pleasers. And that's how we get a lot of positive reinforcement in our lives. And that definitely crosses over into the bedroom. You know, being a people pleaser can put us at high risk for coercive sex. And there's a lot of studies out there that show, um, especially with the younger generations, that um, women are evaluating their sexual experiences based on how their partner responds. Well, was it pleasurable for them? Did did the man, and this is in heterosexual relationships, of course, if 
the man has an orgasm, then it was a positive experience. And not really looking at their own health and well-being. Well, let alone asking for what we need, because that's another piece of this socialization puzzle, which is that um, definitely, I mean, I'm maybe on the older scale of the spectrum, but I see it still happening that um, we, I was, I'll speak for myself, I was raised to not ask for what I wanted or needed, but to give in to others and to take care of others before I took care of myself. Oh, yes. And yeah, so if I'm, you know, in an intimate position where um, I'm going to be more concerned about the other person and that their needs are met and that they're, they're, that they're, it's okay for them to speak up, but not for me. Yeah. One of my biggest fears for a long time was being labeled as being selfish. And if you ask for what you need, I felt like, well, that could really be a selfish request. Right. Yeah. Right. So this is all what we're talking about um, is these things that get in the way of our ability to be aware when there's coercion going on and to be able to take action, right? Which is self-defense. Absolutely. So you have this cool chart. Could you talk about it? Do you feel like now is a good time to talk about your healthy sex comparison chart? That would be great. So this comes from the University of Oregon. They have a curriculum for all incoming students called Get Explicit, where they want students to talk a bit about sex and talk about what is a healthy relationship and how to identify sexual assault and intervene. And one of the things that we look at um, is a healthy sex comparison chart. And we're going to make this available on your website. And so on one column, we have healthy sex. And on the other column, we have unhealthy sex. And so what we're talking about with sexual coercion is that there's oftentimes an obligation. And so under the unhealthy sex, that first line says sex is an obligation. And then if I look at the corresponding line under healthy sex, sex is a choice. So I think really evaluating, am I experiencing a sense of obligation, or is there something else? Sometimes people say sex is secretive, and that might be really unhealthy. Whereas the healthy sex, sex is private. So something can be private, but not secretive. Unhealthy sex, sex is exploitative. So rather than being exploitive, exploitative, um, sex is respectful. Sylvia, do you want me to go down the whole list? Well, um, yeah, I think so. And then just for folks to know, I will put a link to this um, in the episode description, too, so you can go actually take a look. Mm -hmm. There aren't that many things, right? right? I mean, I think it would make sense to go through and list them. Okay. Talk about them. Yeah. Next, sex is deceitful. So the healthy sex side says Sex is honest. 
So can we have honest conversations about what it is that we want and don't want? Unhealthy sex, sex has no limits. Whereas on the healthy side, sex has boundaries. And I know, Sylvia, you talk a lot about boundaries in the podcast. And I so appreciate that, learning how to set boundaries. Yeah, but first we have to know what our boundaries are, which I think is your point. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. Sex is power over someone. So that's definitely unhealthy. Whereas we're looking for sex as being empowering. Sex compromises your values. That's the unhealthy side. Sex reflects your values on the healthy side. Sex feels shameful as the unhealthy. Whereas the healthy side, sex enhances self-esteem. And I just want to point out that when we have low self-esteem, we are so much more susceptible to sexual coercion and assault in a broader context because we're willing to put up with a lot more crap. So if I were to look at this healthy side and say, sex enhances my self-esteem, that can really change that dynamic. Uh, Let's see, on the unhealthy side, sex is hurtful. On the healthy side, sex is nurturing and healing. I just want to take a moment and breathe with that one. Sex is nurturing and healing. What a beautiful thought. Mm. On the unhealthy side, sex is doing to someone. On the healthy side, sex is sharing with someone. And the last one, sex is void of communication. Whereas the healthy side, sex requires communication. Okay, so this is a perfect place to talk about the pizza. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, but, be- but before we do, really quick, before we do, when, um, you know, when I looked at this list, the uh, healthy versus the health, un- wait, unhealthy versus healthy, um, something that I just wanted to mention again, which I mention all the time in various episodes is the really the first step is knowing there's something wrong, like being able to identify that something feels off. And so it's great to have this list. And it's, I think, important to really kind of think through it to really trust your body, that your body's going to be giving you, um, signals like does this feel okay or does it not feel okay and I think it's episode number four of this podcast where we talk about uh, body alarms and how our body works to to give us feedback on different situations both intimate and with other people um, to help us know what feels safe and what doesn't and so I just wanted to mention that um, when we're talking about this unhealthy side, I think you could also probably um, feel your body going like, <laughs> you know, some of this stuff does not feel good. And you will know that and you can trust that. 
Does that make sense? It does. And I think sometimes it's not quite as clear. Yes. So knowing what you want is sometimes really difficult, especially if it's new or unfamiliar. So an example I'm going to give you is, all right, so let's say I'm engaging with a new partner and my stomach starts doing flip-flops. And I'm like, hmm, okay, I can feel these bodily sensations. Now, is this a because I'm so excited about being with this person? Or are these flip-flops in my stomach because I'm anxious and uncertain? Uh, I wish that adrenaline came with clear instructions. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh like, be here's so the label. So, <laughs> so then I have to make a decision. So if I'm not clear, like, what are these flip-flops about? Do I stop the type of intimacy and wait for it to be clear? Or do I say, hmm, I hear you, stomach. I'm going to proceed with caution until I get a clearer message. And I just want to point out that there's no right or wrong there. Like I could make a decision to stop. I could make a decision to, to wait and get more information as things slowly proceed. But to just and change your mind. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And to recognize that that our values, sexual values, are going to change over time. And so maybe I'm not comfortable with that right now, but it could change in the future or vice versa, where it's like, oh, this has always been okay. And, you know, today this is totally not okay. And that's fine. I have every right to change my mind. And this is where the pizza comes in. Can you tell us about the pizza? Yes. So we're going to give you a link to a TED Talk by Al Vernaccio. And basically what he's saying is we need a new model for sex education. So he is a sex educator in a Catholic high school. And he talks about baseball. So most people can relate to the baseball analogy. You go from first base to second base to third base. And the goal is always hitting a home run, right? Which is sexual intercourse or coitus. And he's saying there's so many problems with that model. And so what could we do to create another model? And maybe we should talk just a little bit about what are some of the problems. So one of the problems is that this goal-oriented focus on coitus, right? So we can't just hang out at first base. We can't just hang out at second base. That the goal is to get to a home run. Even the word foreplay has that connotation of, oh, this is all the stuff that happens before, before we get to the end game. When really, the goal should be mutual pleasure. Can you imagine, instead of having it be this linear goal of starting off with some form of intimacy and going right into intercourse, that we hang out in what feels good for you? What feels good for both of us that we agree on? So he offers this analogy or this new model of pizza. Sylvia, do you want to talk about the pizza model? 
I loved it. I thought it was so funny. So, yeah. So, um, so if you think about when you have pizza, it's like, Hey, I feel like pizza. (laughs) And it's, um, you know, you're with somebody else and you're like, well, what kind of pizza do you want? Hmm. I kind of want a veggie pizza. Well, I kind of want pepperoni. Well, what if we do half and half? And it's just the, to me, this metaphor is so beautiful because it's all about just talking about it. Like it's like taking the, the, all those socialization, shame, all the things that tell us that this is not something that we can talk about. And it puts it into this, like, it's like pizza. Just talk about it. Like, what do you want? What feels good today? Or, you know, I always like pepperoni in the past, but maybe today I feel like mushrooms. (laughs) You know, it's just like an open, honest conversation about what do you want? Well, what do you want? Because it's about enjoyment, enjoying the pizza together. It's not about winning or you versus me or a competition or getting somewhere. It's about sharing this thing and actual communication about it. And it was just a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I agree. And every time I show it in the classroom, the students absolutely love it. And I like the fact, too, that they're showing this now in in high schools. I think my son even saw it um, in high school. So good. Yes. Better sex education earlier would be ideal. Amazing. Mm-hmm. One of my friends, um, Sierra Dawson, she's a U of O professor. She teaches a workshop um, called Anatomy and Physiology of an Orgasm. And one time I was talking with her, and she said, you know, if an alien were to come to Earth and want to learn about sex from pop culture, the alien would believe that couples move from kissing passionately straight into sexual intercourse without anything in between. And I think, oh my gosh, how many of us have grown up with similar ideas from pop culture, that that's what happens. And how unhealthy, because that basically creates this obligation, like, oh, well, this is the next step, rather than saying, there are so many possibilities, there are so many possibilities that could be mutually pleasurable, even non-sexual, you know, holding hands, a massage, cuddling. And how do we communicate that? Like, if I want to cuddle, but not engage in sexual intimacy, you know, having that conversation to figure out, all right, do I do that before? Do I do that during? If someone's hand starts moving to a place that might be a little bit more sexy. Well, let's talk about this because, you know, I think that you mentioned too, sometimes people are like, what does this have to do with self-defense? And I think, you know, I think it bears exploring why is sexual assertiveness this you know resiliency to sexual coercion what does it have to do with self defense why is it good self defense 
it doesn't seem like the stuff that people always think it is, which is like, I'm going to learn how to hit, right? <laughs> I'm going to learn how to punch someone, right. or, you know, I'm going to kick and yell. Um, this is a really different side of the same coin. So can we pull that apart a little bit? Sure. I'd love to. So first of all, I just want to recognize that we all have an innate need for connection. So even if I am asexual, I still need a sense of belonging and a sense of connection. And so being able to communicate what it is that I do want is just as important as being able to communicate what it is that I don't want. So just imagine if you were taught the skills to identify your feelings and your desires around sex, and if you were taught how to communicate with the people you feel most connected to about what types of intimacy, both sexual and non-sexual, that really interest you. So it's really not enough just to be able to say no. Consent is a yes that is freely given when the option of no is both present and viable. And so we actually can increase our resiliency to sexual coercion by feeling empowered to be more assertive about what it is that we want. Is that helpful? That is helpful. That makes, that makes sense. And, you know, um, this is just another way to use our voices. Absolutely. Yeah. And our voices are a huge part of our self-defense and they can be loud if needed and they can also be quiet, but it's our, it is our boundaries. It's figuring out what it's everything you just said, you know, what is my boundary? What do I want? What do I not want? Yep. And then communicating that in in a very firm way or a way that feels safe to you with other people, even, you know, even in spite of socialization, in spite of, you know, shame that you might be feeling, it's, it's that bravery, it's that courage to, to dig deep and figure out how do I feel? What do I want? And then say it trusting yourself. Yeah, to give yourself the permission to to talk about it. So one of the things that's changed over the past seven years that I've been teaching this material at the university is seven years ago, most of the students really pushed back when to the idea of sexual assertiveness. And they would say, well, I just want my partner to read my body language. And you know, body language really can convey a lot of information. You know, how I'm moving, how I'm responding, if I'm enjoying it, if I'm moving away, if I'm not enjoying it. But I just want to say, oftentimes, it's not enough. So I know that you interviewed Jennifer Hirsch, who wrote Sexual Citizens, the Landmark Study of Sex, Power, and Assault on Campus. And their research was really clear that believing in and relying on nonverbal consent strategies is a main factor in predicting whether someone will commit sexual assault. 
So if I'm believing in and relying on these nonverbal consent strategies, that means I want someone to just pick up on all the body language and not, I don't want to have to talk about it. And that's putting us both at risk. So being able to talk about it really reduces our risk of being coercive with our partner and being coerced by our partner. So it's really important to figure out, like, how do we obtain consent without killing the mood? And so, like I said, seven years ago, people were like, well, I don't want someone to ask. I don't want someone to talk about it, even though we're being taught what is consent. I want it to just all be body language. And now students are saying, oh, my gosh, it's kind of sexy when my partner said, can I kiss you now? Yes. Turn that into, it's sexy to have somebody ask. It's, that's not killing the mood, that it's creating more of a sense of intimacy. I think that's so important to be able to say, all right, can we talk about this um, as we're interacting with each other, or maybe even before, right? Like if I want to try something new, maybe I talk to my partner about it in the kitchen while we're fully clothed <laughs> so that there's, mm -hmm. there's not a sense of obligation like we're already naked. Um, I think is, is a great opportunity to really practice healthy consent and adult um, conversation. Um, and sometimes it's hard to know, like, all right, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this, right? And so I think it's okay to really be explicit. And when I first started doing this in the classroom, I would hold up my notes in front of my face. I was like, I'm going to turn bright red, but I'm going to say this anyways because I feel it's so important, right? This is so important. And so it's okay to tell someone, like, I'm interested in giving you a blowjob, but I'm not so sure about it, so don't come in my mouth. And I tell people, you don't have to use my words, you know, figure out what it is for you. But I almost guarantee that your partner is going to be relieved to know what your expectations are. So they're not guessing, like, how does this person feel about this? I, I don't know. But now you've, like, explicitly stated you want to try this with some limits. Well, can we also say when you initiate that conversation, that will also give you information about your partner. And if this person seems not interested in what your thoughts and feelings are, well, that's an important thing for you to know, too. Absolutely. That's going to give you a lot more information about do they care about your needs? Do they care about your boundaries that you're setting? And is this going to create more intimacy where you feel safer with them. So important. And it's not just about setting expectations um, for what you could do for your partner, but also what your partner can do for you. So if they really are connected to you, they want you to feel good. And sometimes you don't know, like, oh my gosh, my friend Sierra that I was talking about, <laughs> she said, whoo, the female sexual system has lots 
lots of buttons and knobs, like this massive control panel that seems so overwhelming. So something might feel really fantastic for 30 seconds, and then suddenly it's like, oh, that's kind of irritating. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so being able to switch gears and say, well, that was working and it's not working anymore. Um, and you can even ask explicitly what you want. You know, I could say to my partner, I want you to bite my nipples, but start gently and check in with me about it. And my partner's going to be like, oh, I was kind of wondering, you know, if you'd like that, but I didn't know. And now I know. And this is exciting. You know, it's, it takes, it's not such a guessing game any longer. And we know also <clears throat> that a lot of people begin their sexual experiences without even knowing the meaning of all these sexual behaviors and activities and the ways that people can express their sexuality without intercourse. There's so many different alternatives. So then we don't get stuck into this really linear idea, the baseball idea of we go from kissing passionately right straight to coitus. You know, there's so many other options. And my friend Sierra also talks about how important it is um, to even have multiple orgasms for a woman, that, that that's actually better sexually to have multiple orgasms before penetration. So the idea that when you have lubrication, there's less likelihood of any type of transmission of infection, and it just feels better, right, if there's enough lubrication. This is amazing that this class is being taught on college campus by your friend, Sierra. <laughs> it's a workshop. It's, it's really pretty cool. awesome. Oh, it's a workshop. Yeah, cool. yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and it's co-ed. Woohoo! Wow, that's really great. I mean, like anyone can go. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, so as we're talking about this concept of resiliency against sexual coercion, we've talked about a lot of different parts of it. Um, like what other things do you think are important to talk about? <sighs> you have a worksheet, right? Yes, you're going to make the worksheet available. So really looking at those internalized messages, I think being able to really tease them out. What are my feelings around sex? What are the values and beliefs? Are they valid for me? Or do they, do they put me in a place that doesn't make me feel good about myself? Do they create more shame or do they make me feel empowered? Um, and the worksheet also, I have a place to write a personal affirmation. And really, I know sometimes people think of affirmations as being a little woo-woo, but I think of it as really an opportunity to create resiliency. So if we have these internal messages that are limiting us in our ability to defend ourselves, why not have an internal message that's like increasing my ability to be resilient and to defend myself. And we know personal affirmations are much more effective if we can use the present tense and talk about ourselves in the first person. So I'll just read some of the examples that I put on the worksheet. So 
it could be really broad-based, like, I deserve to be treated with respect and loving kindness. But an affirmation could also really be specific to my experience of shame and or fear. So one example I have on the worksheet is, if I feel afraid that I'm not ready for sex, my partner will lose interest in our relationship. So if I'm going to write a personal affirmation, it's okay not to be ready for sex. A supportive partner will validate that it is okay. Or my feelings are valid, and I pay attention to my hesitancy for a reason, and I'm worth waiting for. So you were talking about those body's cues and really paying attention and listening. So when I'm listening to those cues, they're, they're there for a reason. And then one that I really love, this relationship is stronger and more loving when I set limits and my partner respects my boundaries. That's true in any relationship, sexual or non-sexual, that the relationship is stronger and more loving when I can set limits and my partner respects my boundaries. And we're more empowered. Absolutely. Good. All good. Yeah. I wanted to give another model to this Uh idea of creating mutual pleasure because it's so easy to focus on what it is that I don't want when we talk about self-defense, but to have models of what would it look like if I was able to communicate clearly with my partner that we were both really moving toward this idea that mutual pleasure is the biggest goal, um, I think is, is really important. And so there's this Venn diagram exercise, which I know it sounds so scientific, but trust <laughs> me, this is super sexy. So <laughs> you and your partner sit down separately and write a list of things that interest you. And one of the things that we did was we said, let's not write down what we don't want. Let's make it really positive. Like, what it is that we do want? And it was rather vulnerable creating this list. But we made a decision that when we share it with each other, there would be no judgment. But that we're sharing the list to see where there's an overlap hence the idea of a Venn diagram. So where is there overlap and where are there things that maybe we hadn't really thought about before, but oh yeah, that's pretty exciting. And so doing this with my partner, oh my gosh, things were like so spicy for months, just having this discussion, to be honest with you, like just the idea of exploring okay, well, what about this idea? What do you think? So having healthy models to help people communicate what they're interested in, I think is is really supportive of a healthy relationship. I love it. And, you know, folks listening, Justine and I want you to be safe when you're out for a run at night or walking down the street or traveling for business or at school, when you're alone with somebody, when you're on a date, when you're at home 
with someone special. Like all of these times, this is important that you know all these tools for your toolkit. I think that this conversation, Justine, is just, it's uh, illuminating. It's really interesting. It's sort of this very subtle kind of nuanced self-defense, which is not a sexy way to describe it, but but it is so it is so cool to be talking about it and to have it be part of this podcast and part of this whole concept about staying safe because it isn't just so I know how to hit. It is all these other things. And so it's really cool to talk with you about them. And you've all obviously done a ton of research and teaching about it. You've heard stories about it over the years. You have, you know, you're in the the community of people who are teaching empowerment self-defense. So you know what the conversations are. And it's just really illuminating to have this conversation with you. So I want to thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I feel like most of the time when people think of self self-defense they're like how am I going to stop rape right and that's so important and it also oftentimes there's a certain image that people have that it's a stranger and I know you talk about this a lot in your podcast but most of the time sexual assault is happening with people that we know or an acquaintance And then if we drill down even further, oh, it was more coercive than an active physical threat against me. So what does that do to my self-esteem and my bodily autonomy? So if we can talk about these more nuanced pieces, it's going to increase my ability to defend myself against people that I don't know if they're coming at me. Yeah, if you can do this stuff, you can do all the other stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. 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 Um, is there anything else that you feel like we've left out or that you want to make sure that we mention? I feel really good about what we have covered. Well, let's wrap it up. Listeners, thank you for listening. Justine, thank you for being here. Everybody, so glad that we could share this last, whatever, like 40 minutes with you. Thank you, everybody, for being part of this conversation. Justine, really huge thanks. I have a huge smile on my face. What an honor and privilege to be with you and your listeners. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. It's affirmation time. This is how I end every self-defense class. It's kind of cheesy but it's very cool and this is how it works. We're gonna do like a little call and response. If you can say this out loud, if you can repeat after me, do it, because it's important, I think, for you to hear your own voice. But if you can't, like if you're on a crowded subway or someplace where it's embarrassing, don't worry, you can also just say it inside your head. Okay, so I'm going to say something and you're going to repeat it after me. I'm going to give you space to do that. And at the end, we're going to say yes. Here we go. Repeat after me. I am worth protecting. I love myself. 
I belong. I deserve to take up space on planet Earth. I am a strong and powerful person. Yes! Woohoo! And hey, as a wrap up, will you do me a favor? Will you do all the things that you do when there's a podcast? Like, will you tell your friends? Will you subscribe? Will you come back each week? Communicate with me? review this podcast, like all those things to help get more bandwidth, help more people find out about it. That would be super awesome. Take a deep breath. You are amazing. Thank you for being with me. See you next time.